ask you, if I ask you the question, what is your main thing? What is to you the main thing? I think I'd get a lot of answers here, a variety of answers. I think for some of you, the main thing would be very different from my main thing or other people's main thing. But the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so (laughs) if that is true, I would ask you to consider what it is that drives you. What is it in your life that moves you? What is the main thing for you? There are some sitting here who may say, well, Pastor Ken, for me, the main thing is my, are my, are my children. And they, they are my world. And I, I revolve all of my scheduling and all my activity around my world. Somebody sitting here may say, well, there's this really beautiful girl. And she's my main thing, man. She's, she's awesome. And she's the main thing in my life. Then you'd have a lot of different answers that you could give to me. There are a lot of answers. Let me share the actual uh, experience of a gentleman by the name of Charles Paul Kahn. This actually happened. He wrote about this in a publication that he called Making It Happen. It was a little article. And this is what he wrote, and I'm quoting him for a minute. When I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages, in the listing of restaurants, an entry for a place called Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity, so I dialed the number. A man answered with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. I asked how this restaurant had been given such an unusual name. And he told me, well, we had a little mission down here. And we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay our bills. Well, people liked our chicken. And we did such a good business that eventually we just cut back on the church service. And after a while, we just closed down the church altogether. But we kept on serving chicken dinners. And we kept the name that we started with. That's Church of God Grill. How easy it is for us to lose sight of our real purpose. How easy it is for us to lose our mission. To drift away from the main thing. I would suggest to you that little mission got off mission. I would say that their purpose for the for, for being created was somehow they had drifted far away. They went from being a church to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to broken people to a restaurant that sells chicken dinners. It is easy for us to get off track, isn't it? It happens to organizations. And when we do get off track, we can run. We begin to run faster when we lost our way. We work harder. We go faster as organizations or as individuals. It happens to organizations. It happens like like this little mission in our story. And it happens to us. Our scripture lesson illustrates how James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, lost sight of what they were supposed to be all about. Let me say something not so with Jesus. Never once will you read in the pages of this book any place ever where Jesus one time lost sight of his purpose. You'll never see a time in these scriptures in this wonderful book where Jesus got confused about what he was supposed to do. He always knew and he always stayed on track. Oh, that we were more like Jesus. Amen. <laughs> because I, I sometimes, I have to say, I sometimes have gotten way off. And I've been very confused. And life can do that to us sometimes. We can just find ourselves and, and we, we ask that age-old question, what am I doing? Because we have found ourselves drifting far away from the purpose. 
Let me say something to you that I firmly believe. I know that this is true in my heart of hearts. I believe that you're not an accident. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means God made you on purpose. The Bible further says in Psalm 139 that when your mother got pregnant with you, God put the spark of life inside of you and stayed in the womb with you. And he shaped you. And he created you. He was there. You're not an accident. You're not evolved into what you are. You're created by an almighty God. And the womb is a holy place. And a womb is a sacred place. And that is why I will always say abortion is sin. Because it is an invasion of a holy place and God's purpose. And it is a destruction of one that God is making. You were created by the Lord God. And when God made you, he did what he did in forming you and wiring you the way you are wired. He did that on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. My parents, you know, did not intend to have me. Oops. But God knew exactly who I was before I was ever created. And he had a design and a purpose for my life. I want you to know that not only are you not an accident, God has a design for you. He knows who you are. He was intimately involved from the moment of your spark of life, your your conception. And whether you have known it or not, or you have sensed it or not, God has been present in your life every moment of every day. He is intensely interested in you. And if you have an image of God that's similar to mine, that blows all your circuitry. Because out of the billions of people on this planet, why would God care about me? God is self-sustaining. The only being I know who absolutely needs nobody or nothing to exist. You're not that being, and neither am I. I need I need food. God doesn't need food. I need air to breathe. God doesn't need air to breathe. I need so much, and I need other people. God created me that way, but God is self-sustaining. Why is he interested in me? Why does he care? I want you to know that you're not an accident and that God has that deep affection and interest in me. But oh, how we can miss God's purposes in our life, right? Individually, have you ever gotten off track? Have you ever gotten to the point where you say, what am I doing and why am I here? We miss it sometimes. We get there. And it's a struggle. And we can get to the place. But never was that so with Jesus. He knew that he had a a purpose. And he had a laser-like focus on what he was all about. Which was to execute the will of his heavenly father. That's why he existed. And he knew that. He said, I was sent here by my father. And I am to do what he says. I don't. Use the words that I would use. I'm saying my father's words. I do the things my father tells me how to do. And he never deviated. He never wavered. In his excellent article, a gentleman by the, by the name of um, Charles E. Hummel wrote The Tyranny of the Urgent. And I love that article. And he observed that as busy and as demanded as Jesus ever was, and, and there was no one any busier than Jesus He always stayed true to his own purpose and he always attended to the thing that was important over the urgent things in life. And we have urgency in our life, don't we? 
Oh my goodness. We have people who want us to do this, and we have this this tug on our lives and this pull on our lives. Jesus always identified what was important to do. And he stayed on track. No matter how hectic or demanding the day became, Jesus stayed on his mission. And nothing or no one caused him to deviate from it or to drift from it. These ten verses that we read together this morning point to three contributors that caused people in or organizations to go on a missional drift. And I have to tell you, I've been guilty of all three of these. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And if the truth were known, I would submit that probably everybody here has gotten off track sometimes. And you missed your purpose. And, and you've gotten kind of away from what it is that God has. That's what Isaiah 53, 6 says. He, the scriptures tell us that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. But again, not so with Jesus. He knew how to stay true to his mission and his purpose, in part because he didn't get caught in the traps that James and John, and sadly I, have been caught in. Here are three of the traps that we can get caught up in, and I'll make it as quick as I can for you. First of all, I would tell you that Jesus wasn't ever misled by misunderstanding. He was not misled by misunderstanding. Bottom line, James and John, and frankly, all of the disciples at this point, had come to a mistaken conclusion that Jesus was about to overthrow the Roman government at that time. And he was going to set the Jewish people free from this tyranny that they lived in. See, the Jews, for a very long time, were subjugated by the Romans. They were forced to honor Roman politicians, build Roman buildings and houses, and pay Roman taxes and obey Roman laws because they were slaves. They were subjugated by them. And the disciples knew that the Old Testament prophets had prophesied that when the Messiah came, that one day he would establish his reign over the whole earth. And they thought it was about to happen. So James and John, with this misinformation in their minds, said, Oh, we want to be close to that. And so that's when they asked Jesus, man, let us be your main men. We want to be the dudes you turn to all the time. We want to be your main guys. And we want to be the impressive ones among all of your disciples. And they had this misinformation that Jesus was about to reign and rule over the world and overthrow all other governments. And he would be the Messiah. By the way, that's going to happen very soon. Someday Jesus is coming back and one foot's going to be planted on the earth and one foot planted on the sea. And Jesus will declare that time is no more. And he will reign over this world. The Bible tells us that. They thought it was sooner than it really happened. They did not understand what Jesus understood. And let me say this. I believe that Christ had the power at the very moment that they thought he should... I believe he could have overthrown the governments. I believe he could have become the ruler of this world then. But see, Jesus fully understood on that day that James and John came to him and asked them for this favor. That um, he was not about to be seated on a throne to rule the world until after he would be raised up and nailed to a cross to save the world. There was no misunderstanding on the part of Jesus Christ. He knew that his mission was not to be served and become the ruler yet. His mission was to serve and to love others, which we read. His mission was to become the savior of the world. In spite of the fact that Jesus repeatedly told his disciples that he would one day very soon be handed over to the Gentiles and killed and rise again in three days, they just didn't receive it. Have you ever been there when you've tried to, you're trying to get a message across? Parents are all nodding their heads. Oh, yes. 
We have been there. And you're trying to communicate and you think you're communicating very clearly. And you think you're saying things in a way that should be easily received and understood. But here's what I've discovered. People believe what they want to believe. And there are some people in this world, God love them, who if they think the sky is chartreuse. Okay, you can whip out a color chart and you can show them what chartreuse looks like. You can then pull out part of that uh, that color chart that says sky blue. You can hold it up to the sky. And there are some people who will say, nope, I still see chartreuse, whatever chartreuse is. Because some people just stubbornly hold on to misunderstanding and mistruth, if you will, because that's how we are at times. People believe what they want to believe. It's not so serious when something like so trivial as like the color of the sky is concerned, but as far greater matter when the church drifts away from its mission to sell chicken dinners or to do something else. Oh, we may not drift that far, and I pray to God that if God leads me here, we never drift to a point of becoming a chicken dinner restaurant. Hebrews Cafe is awesome, but that's not why this church exists. That would be the tail wagging the dog, amen? And we, we won't let that happen, right? Please say yes. Shoo. About ready to get down. If you didn't, I'm done. I have nothing else. But I'm glad to see most of you saying amen. A few of you might not be, but most of you are. So that helps me. But we understand that as great of a ministry as, as Hebrews Cafe can become and what we can do. Our main reason for existing is to show people the love of Jesus. It is to glorify our God. And, and we can't be pulled away like that because, oh, how... It becomes so serious when congregations lose their way. You and I know of churches that have split over nonsensical, non-eternal things. We, some of us have been in those churches. And we know what a tragedy it is because it has eternal ramifications that we yet have seen. We don't know who will be lost because we spent too much time arguing about the color of the paint. And what does that matter in the scheme of eternity? Churches can lose their their way because they invest so much feeling in the things that really don't matter. And I pray that God helps churches, and this church in particular, never to fail to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what matters. One of the key roles that I will play for, for Gospel Chapel, if God brings me here, is to help us stay on mission. That's what the pastor needs to do. The pastor should be the leader of that. The pastor should be the visionary for that. The pastor should be able to express what that mission and purpose is. But that being said, if the pastor is the only one doing it, we're, in, we're all in trouble. Amen. Because this is an us thing, not a me thing. This is not the church of, if I come as your pastor, Ken Dusa. By the way, I apologize to all of you for the fact that my first name is Ken. But I can't do anything about that. Actually, never mind, I'm not going to go there. Because my first name is not Ken. You're not going to know what my first name is if I have any power of it. Sherry would glad you tell you. My friend Sherry would gladly tell you what it is. But I go by Ken. And, and so I had somebody suggest, let's just put your name all together so it's easy. Pastor Kendusa. Okay, if you have to do that, then do that. Okay, but, but um, 
This is not the church if I come here of Ken. It is this, and it never can be. It has to be a we and us. It has to be gospel chapel. It's a thing we do together. This is a community. And we move forward. By the way, beautiful song, Andrew, on moving. Man, I love that. You wrote that. Holy smokes. That's good, man. Mom and dad somehow passed on genes that gave you talent. That's awesome. I didn't think, I didn't think Stephen had any of that in him. So that's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little mean. And I'm getting off mission here. But... Folks, listen, it's a we thing. And we do it together because we best serve Christ, and Christ designed it this way. We best serve Christ when we're part of a community that is serving Him. If we're going to reach the communities of Northampton, and I'm not going to say this well, Copley, it's not co-play. It is, thank you very much, it's not co-play. It is not that. If we're going to reach the surrounding communities, then we have to be a community. We'll get off mission when we stop being a community here. So it's a we thing. Sometimes churches become caretakers of buildings. It's my opinion that some churches get off track when they build new buildings. And they and by the way, beautiful building. I love what you've done here. I really do think it's gorgeous. And, and I'm so proud of people who, who thought this out. This wasn't just slapped together. It's gorgeous. And I, I really am thankful for what you have done here. But buildings are tools and nothing more. This is not the church you are. And this is a tool. And... As far as I am concerned, any way that we can use this to glorify God and bring people to Christ and be a tangible representation of that love, of the love that Jesus has for people, any way we can do it, I say let's do it. Beyond catching it on fire or something like that, okay? But, so, you, I, there are churches that build a building and then they, they sort of worship the building and they get really upset if a stain hits the carpet or, or, or they get very upset if our children mess up a wall or something. And I just want to say, it's paint. We'll paint it again. That child is worth it to me. Let's do whatever we can to reach children for Jesus Christ, even if they mess up our building a little bit. This is a tool. Now, I think we need to be good stewards. I think we need to take good care of our stuff for the glory of God. People sacrificed a lot to put this here. I get all that. But let's not get the cart before the horse or let the tail wag the dog. This is a building. This is a tool to be used for the glory of God. And I've seen churches that erect monuments... And they worship the building that they are in. And that's so sad to me. And some become caretakers of their past, of their traditions, of what used to be. They go back to yesteryear all the time. And listen, folks, I love yesteryear. I have a heritage in yesteryear. But I'm excited about today. And I'm excited about what's coming up. And I want to just glorify God in this day. I don't mind us celebrating our wins. We need to do that. We need to once in a while say, Yay, we accomplished something for the glory of God. Let's give God some praise. That's okay. I think it's a great thing to celebrate when somebody comes to Christ. Amen? If our community brings people to Christ, I think we need to find a way to mark that and celebrate it and say, Somebody came to the Lord. The angels are partying. Let's have one ourselves. That's okay to do. But, but all of that said, we can't let that pull us off mission. Because our mission is to represent Jesus Christ in this broken world. 
And we need to be so careful. Some churches work so hard at being cutting edge and seeker sensitive that they fail to preach the real gospel of Jesus Christ. They're fearful that they're not attractional if they tell what's really in this book. And I hold that all of the power is in the message as it is in here. And that we need to know that we serve a God who is holy and just and loves us and hates, hates, hates sin. And we need to know we need Jesus. Amen. Not some version of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We need the God of this Bible. Not some other Jesus. We need Jesus Christ of Scriptures. And some churches are so afraid that they're not attractional. If they have the guts to mention things that are in the Bible. Not my words. I don't want to preach the gospel of Ken. Yuck! I want to preach the gospel of Christ. And there are some things, believe it or not, that God just flat out says, that's sin. And we need to be willing to call sin, sin, or else people won't know it's sin. And I know of churches that have gotten so hung up, and the mission of their church is, let's be so attractional that people want to be in the building. Listen, I want people to come in the building if they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But my end-all, be-all is not getting more butts in the seat and bucks in the plate. That's not what I want. I want people to come. But I want them to come because of Jesus. Because they need an encounter with a mighty God who can transform their lives. Amen? Because I'm a beggar who found bread. And I want to show other people who are starving and broken where they can find that bread. He's called the bread of life. He's the water of life. And so I want people to know about Jesus. Let's be careful about misinformation. Let's get be careful about being confused about what we exist for. One of my jobs, should I come here, will be to hold that up in front of you until it's at nauseum. Till you can just spout it out. Oh, yeah, the mission of the church. Pastor Ken Dusa says. Okay. And by the way, I'm cool with Pastor Ken. I'm okay with Ken. Okay, just... Yeah, I'll let you know that. All right, second thing. <laughs> Jesus was never corrupted by wrong motives. All verses 38 through 40 show us poor James and John. They got their heads in their heads that they deserved the right. I love this. We deserve the right to sit on the right and the, and the left side of the king of glory. Hello? That's like, wow. I mean, that's arrogant. I don't know how else to say it. I know you're, the, you're his friend and all of that, John, but Really? Really? You think that you're worthy to sit next to Jesus Christ, the King of Glory? You really think you deserve that place of honor? And and all their motives got so far away. Culturally, in that day, the seats immediately to the right or left of a king were seats of the highest honor, the highest power, and the highest prestige. And John and James had their eye on that. Oh, they wanted to be the man. They wanted to be the one that they could look at the other disciples. If they were seated there, there'd be no more argument about who the greatest is. They argued about that all the time. That also is humorous to me. It's sad but humorous that that, that the disciples of Jesus would have arguments when they're walking down the road. I'm greater than you are anyway. You're, You're nobody, dude, next to me. I'm the rock. I'm Peter, dude. I'm the man. Jesus called me the rock. And I can see John saying, dude, I laid on his breast while we were eating the last supper. What are you talking about? 
I'm his best friend. And I see these guys going back and forth. And James and John allowed bad motives to, to corrupt them. So they got to the point that they actually had the arrogance to believe that they belong next to the Holy Son of God, right on his right on his left. And what an arrogant uh, proposition that they brought to Jesus Christ. I love how they couched it, by the way. Don't people do this sometimes? Jesus, got some favor to ask you and we want you to say yes before you know what it is. You ever have somebody try that one on you? I got something I need from you and I just say yes and I'll fill you in. It was sort of like a politician not too long ago said for Obamacare, let's just sign it into law and see what's in it later. Let's just vote yes. Well, these guys were trying their very best to, to, to get to this position and they had this suspicion that if they told Jesus what they really wanted, then, then he probably would say no. And of course, I love Jesus' answer very simply. What do you want me to do? He wasn't going to fall for that. But they're, they're in this thing and their motives are so corrupt. They're, they're expecting that Jesus would do something like this. And, and this just represents yet another misunderstanding for them. Jesus would reveal to them that their definition of greatness and his were opposite. And Jesus would say, do you want to be great? Well, in verses 43 and 44, he told them plainly, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Here's something we need to never forget. God's economy and God's standards are very different from human economy and human standards. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, if someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other. We don't like that. But that's what Jesus said. And I could go on and on and on where there are some diametrically opposed ideas between us and God. It's so easy to be corrupted by wrong motives. It's so easy for people and organizations to become selfish. It's so easy for us to want a position in in a church for the wrong reason. I want this position because the board of Gospel Chapel, they're respected in the church. And I deserve to be respected and I want to be on the board. And if I'm not elected to the board, somebody's going to pay. Probably the pastor. Amen, oh my, or ouch. And we can get motives that are just so wrong and so twisted that we get yanked off mission and we make it about us and it can never be about me. Never. It can never be about one person. It can't be about you. It can't be about me. It's about Christ and bringing glory and honor to him. Selfish wrong motives will yank us off mission every time. Lest we forget Jesus gave us clear parameters for our service to him. He told us, here's how you serve me. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. And love other people like you love yourself. That kind of keeps us straight, doesn't it? Let me move on. Jesus was never influenced by what other people did. I love this about him. Verse 41 tells us that the other disciples got angry with James and John when they found out what they were doing. I love the NIV. They got indignant. The Bible has a way for understating things, okay? They were ticked. Okay, let's just be honest. And it wasn't like, like, hmm, I'm a little miffed at you. No, it, let me tell you what, dude. They wanted to like, 
drag these brothers out and give them a whooping. You think you're all that? Take us on. You know, it wasn't too good. If, if, if they grew up in my culture, the redneck culture that I grew up in, they get their rear ends whipped. They would. It would. That's what would happen. They would have got beat for that. You're trying to do an end around us? I don't think so. And, and so the James and John, you know, worried about the other disciples and what would happen to them. And the other disciples said they're all worried about what other people did. It didn't do a thing to Jesus. Jesus knew who he was and why he was. But come on, you and I would have been upset too if we were there with James and John. Maybe it was on Peter's mind a little bit later. Sometime later, after Jesus was crucified and then risen, You'll remember that um, the disciples were, were kind of hiding out in a room. And Peter, uh, not knowing what to do, looks over at the other disciples and says, Hey guys, I'm going fishing. I have a whole series and a message on that and someday may trot it out for you. But uh, it's interesting. When Jesus found Peter, James, and John, they were fishing. And what they did not understand is after they met Jesus, they could never go back to fishing. They'd never be that again because Jesus changed who they were. But John didn't know better. I mean, Peter didn't know any better. And and so he says, I'm going fishing. And the other guy says, we'll go too. And this is such a cool, cool story. And I don't have time to stretch it all out for you. But they fish all night. They catch nothing. It's like deja vu all over again. And they, they look on the shore and there's smoke coming off the shore and a little fire. And a man's standing there and he yells out, hey, guys, you catch anything? And they're like, no, fished all night, didn't catch a thing. Throw your nets on the other side of the boat there. Toss them over there. And dummies still didn't realize what was going on. Okay. And they threw the net on the other side. And then their nets filled with fish. And boom, John knows. And he looks at Peter and he says, it's the Lord. And, and Peter, in his impulsive, passionate way, got really excited and he jumped out of the boat and he swam to shore to be with Jesus while the other guys brought the fish in. And Peter had just denied knowing Jesus. Biggest, worst place in his life of blowing it i mean you can't do too much worse than what peter was doing and peter had wept over this thing but he and jesus had not seen each other and peter then is sitting down wet by a roaring fire and jesus already had fish on on the on the fire fire he was making breakfast and as they're sitting there eating breakfast i think for peter it dawns on him what am i doing i denied him He knows it. He looked at me when I did it. The rooster crowed. And I imagine Peter just starting to look down and break eye contact, not even talk. And it's in that story, um, it was a beautiful scene where Jesus talks to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter really quickly, flippantly says, Yes, Lord, I love you. I do. I love you. And Jesus restored him and said, feed my sheep, Peter. Three times he's asked that question. Three times Jesus restored the ministry that he was part of. 
And after all of that is done, and Jesus is so gracious to him, he never mentions Peter's sin to him. He just says, Peter, this is what I want you to do. He finishes this with this thought. He says, now, Peter, you need to understand that one day, a day is soon coming when someone is going to dress you and uh, against your will, and they're going to lead you to your death, and you're going to die for me. And Peter receives that, and what does he do? He looks back, and he sees John hovering nearby. And what does he ask? What about him? What's going to happen to John? And Jesus helped him with this. He said, Peter, what's that to you? If I let him live until I come back again, what's it matter to you? Keep the main thing the main thing, Peter. You have to follow me. Don't you worry about John. I got John. You worry about you. How many of us have gotten pulled way off mission and purpose because of other people and what they do? And how many of us blame our problems? Well, I wouldn't be this way if that person didn't do so and so. At some point, we have to take responsibility for what Jesus gives us to be and do. And he says, Peter, I know you're a little bit worried about John. And I know you're still ticked at him because he asked me to be seated right next to me. All of that said, what's that to you if I want to honor him or not? It doesn't matter. Here's your mission, Peter. Follow me. That's what you got to worry about. Peter, keep the main thing, the main thing. See, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's what we have to do. And God willing, if I come here and I become pastor of Gospel Chapel, that is going to be, as I said, my key focus. What is the main thing? And how do we keep the main thing the main thing here? And so I'm just going to tell you that sometimes we're going to have really good ideas, but they might not fit in our main thing. They may be wonderful and good, but they might not fit in the mission of our church. Because sometimes we can be a little bit shotgun in our approach and not do it well enough. You hear what I'm saying? So I want ideas, but we have to keep the main thing the main thing. So if I become your pastor, one of the greatest prayers that you could, one of the prayer requests that you can keep in front of you all the time, Father, help us to keep the main thing the main thing. And give that dumb old pastor real clear guidance so that we keep the main thing the main thing. So that would be a a real, that can be a prayer for whoever becomes your pastor. I have to tell you, um, I've seen leaders look at other leaders and, and get away from what God wants for them. As a pastor, I'm responsible for where God has placed me. And again, if I become your pastor, I'm responsible for the communities here. That will be my job. I will tell you that I believe that God plants congregations and they have unique gifts and talents and personalities and abilities and unique things that they do within the kingdom of God. I will celebrate other churches doing well as long as they're glorifying God and preaching from that book and people are getting saved. I will celebrate when other churches do do very well. What I and, and I will tell you that other churches can do things that Gospel Chapel cannot do. Guess what? Gospel Chapel got it going on in some places that other churches can't. They couldn't touch you. 
And I've already seen enough evidence around here with the leadership and some of the other things that I've seen. The worship this morning tells me that there is a uniqueness about this congregation that will reach some people. We're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Do we know that? Some people come in here and say, I did not hear one hymn. I'm out. Okay, you're going to get that. But then you're going to come out, come have somebody else come in. I didn't hear one hymn. Woohoo! You know, so you get it. Because we will reach a group of people that God has put Gospel Chapel here to reach on purpose. Here's what I love. God did not call me to be Billy Graham. Woo! I'm glad for that. I'm not Billy Graham. And I can't preach like Billy Graham. I can't do it. I, the only person I know how to be is me. You should have seen me when the Lord called me to preach and I knew I was going to preach. I knew nothing about preaching really except just some of it that I heard and I decided I better learn how to preach. So I turned on the radio and I drove myself crazy imitating other preachers. I remember this one preacher man, I called him Reverend Hack. I don't know his name. But man, I thought, i got to learn to preach like this guy. Because here's what he sounded like. I appreciate the fact, y'all, that we have an altar in the church, y'all. A place where we can come and pray. And I listened to him. The congregation's going nuts. I said, I want to preach like that. So I practiced on the chickens. We had a chicken house. I scared them to death. I'm from Delmarva. There's chickens everywhere there. More chickens than people. So... I practice on the chickens, and, and that didn't, somehow, it didn't feel right. And then I'd listen to somebody else preach, and I would try them. Finally, I landed on a black gospel preacher. I know he was black just by the way he preached, and he sung to his congregation. Who woke you up this morning? The whole congregation said, Jesus! Who puts a smile on your face? And I'm going, oh my goodness, that's me. That's the way I'm going to preach, you know. And I got all excited about it. And I practiced on the chickens. And they ran away. And finally the Lord spoke to me and and clearly said to me, Ken, I am not calling you to be those guys. You can't be Billy Graham. I already made a Billy Graham. But I created you uniquely you. And I need you to be you. Because there are people you will reach that Billy Graham can't. And when the Spirit said that to me, my mouth went, I was really like, (laughs) can I tell you, one of the things you will hear if I I get to be your pastor, you'll hear a lot about a word, a Greek word, oikos. It's not just a yogurt. Oikos is a Greek word that, best way to describe it, it means your community and family. And what it says is God has placed into every Christian's life Eight to ten people, some more, some less, who you have a unique influence over more so than any other Christian. And they are your responsibility. It is you who will make a difference in their life. It is you that God has put that person in your life to reach for him. And we all have an oikos. And we ought to be working our oikos. And if I come here... That's one of the key things you'll hear me talk about all the time. Because frankly, I like what one of my good friends who pastors in a church in southern Maryland does. He'll stand up in front of his church and he'll ask the question. I'll couch it like I'm your pastor for a minute and I'll, I'll coach you through this and it'll take a couple seconds. If he were pastor here, he would say, who are the real ministers of Gospel Chapel? And the right answer is, we are. Can I try that once? 
Who are the real ministers of Gospel Chapel? We are. Amen. Amen. That's your purpose. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And you're a minister of the Gospel if you know Jesus. You're a light. And the Lord has called into your life people that I can't reach and others can't reach as well as you can. And I want you to do it. I want you to pray about those people. And I want to challenge you, whether I become your pastor or not, think about those people and pray for them. And think about ways you can nudge them a little closer to Jesus. I want to help people who are far away from Jesus. Because Jesus transformed my life. Remember what I said last night, those of you who are here? I wanted to be a truck driver. That's all I wanted. God had other plans. God looked at me and measured me differently than my guidance counselor measured me. (laughs) Guidance counselor said I shouldn't go to college. So, on a personal level, I can't be what other people... uh, I'm sorry, I can't let other people do what other people do or think of me. Keep me from following Jesus. I'll never be T.D. Jakes or Joel Steen. It's your destiny. That's not me. I can't be Billy Graham. I can only be me. And I must follow Jesus no matter what others do. If they do well or if they don't do well, my job, the main thing, love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others like I love myself. That's my mission. Wherever I am, whether I'm paid to do it or not, I need to follow him. Are you following Jesus? Do you know him? Are you keeping the main thing, the main thing? Because let me say, there is a day coming when that will come sharply into focus if it isn't yet in your life. So sharply into focus. Bible tells us that one day, every person great and small will see him. And he will speak to us directly. He will call your name and you will step forward whether you want to or not. I'm not trying to be harsh. He will speak to you and he will say your name and he will say, okay, it is time for you to give an account to me, your creator, for how you have spent your life. And at that moment, I can tell you what's not going to matter. It's not going to matter how much money you made or didn't make. It's not going to matter what kind of job you had or what leadership position you held. It's not going to matter a whole lot who you were friends with. What's going to matter is, do you know Jesus Christ? And have you received from him his free gift of eternal life? That's the main thing. And did you follow him? The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Christians, he's going to go further with us. He's going to say, I put people in your life who needed me. And your main thing was to bring them to me. Excuse the emotions, but I want to be able to look around in heaven and know that I made a difference for somebody. And that a little bit of what I did helped them know the greatest being that ever existed, Jesus Christ. That's my main thing. Main thing for me is one day being able to stand before Jesus Christ and have him say, Ken, well done. Man, that's everything to me. I want that more than I want a mansion. I really do. If I get Jesus to look at me and smile and say, well done, Ken, that will put me on my knees. 
And I will weep for joy because that's all I want. I just want him to say, Ken, well done. You're good and faithful servant. And I've got something prepared for you. And really the moment is all that will matter to me. I'll be able to take that to eternity. Jesus knows me. He smiled at me. And he said, well done. Dude. That scores right there, man. That's the best. And I probably will have to have an angel peel me off of Jesus. Oh, thank you. You know, I'm one of those guys. I want to close this message by leaving you with an image. And when the band comes up, don't be too distracted. They're going to start to play as I'm talking, okay? So the band can come up. But I want to show you this image on the screen. If you can pop that up there for me, Glenn. No, try again. Your name is not Glenn. It's Stephen. And he's looking for it. I don't know why, Glenn. Get back there and fix that. Where's Glenn? (laughs) All right, get in there, Glenn. No. He's working on it for a second here. Are we having a little glitch? I gotta love them. All right. Well, the the image will be if it comes up, and if it doesn't, I can describe it uh, well. I I think most of you know what a mosaic is. The image that will show if he's able to get it up is is an image of a red heart made of broken pieces of glass. It's a mosaic. I want to tell you that um, I'm convinced that if you're a human being, you have brokenness in your life. Can I get an amen there? Because you can't live in this broken world very long without getting cracked up yourself. And we're all a bunch of crackpots, okay? We're all broken. We have stuff that happens to us, and it, it, it breaks us apart. And when I came to Jesus, all I was was a pile of brokenness. Everything had crumbled, and everything had been broken, and it was random, and it was pieces. And Jesus has the power to take the broken pieces... And make it beautiful. But when you look at that, I want you to also think of Gospel Cafe. Not the building. Not the location. You. And let one piece represent your life and how you can fit into this beautiful organization, community, called the Gospel Cafe. And how... Did I say it wrong? I said Gospel Cafe! (laughs) Rats! The Gospel Chapel. Hebrews Cafe, not, yeah, okay, I got it. But I want you to think about you being an integral part. If I, if I had that mosaic in front of me, you guys can start to play. If I pull a piece out, you will easily see that a piece is missing. And it's just not as pretty if it's not, if all the pieces aren't there. God has placed you here, many of you. You know this is your church home and your community. And the way that we can be effective as a community is together that's how we can really be attractional we don't have to do everything a certain way we just have to be us right we just have to be one of those pieces and we just have to work together love together grow together fail together get broken together and let jesus make us into what he wants us to be here's the thing we're not a completed piece of art So he may rearrange the pieces. You you hear me? He's going to do that in your own life. You got brokenness in your life. And and I want you to know that Jesus can make something beautiful out of you. He can do it. He has that power. And listen, I don't care how broken you are. He knows what to do. He knows how to fix it. So I just want to challenge you today to, to go out of here with this image in your head. If God is good to me... And I 
had the privilege of becoming your pastor and, and get the chance to lead this congregation. I just want to be a piece of what God will do in this community. And I need other pieces. Can't do it alone, right? Can't do it. I can't pack something in a suitcase and say, here it is, and unpack it. Da, 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 da. This is all you get. Okay? And this is best I got. So I'm just another piece. Darlene is a piece. And we can be part of the gospel chapel. <laughs> Go on. Chapel Cafe. No. Chapel. It's sad, isn't it? It really is. Thank you for helping me. I'll get it one day. So all of that said, I'm going to ask one more question and I'm going to sit down. What's the main thing for you? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him? Are you right with God? If you're not, I invite you while we sing to just make your way up forward. I'll, I'll come stand right with you, pray with you, uh, talk to you if you would like to. If you're not so comfortable doing that, then flag me, grab me, and say, I need to talk, and I'll talk to you after church. But that's the main thing, folks.